Steve Jobs once said, the most precious resource we all have is time. For most of history, the average human life expectancy has been about 70 years, give or take a few. But you might say, hey, life expectancy has been gradually rising for centuries. And you'd be right, but this is because more of us make it that far. Fewer of us are dying in childhood, during childbirth, in the midst of raging battle, or being mauled to death by wild animals. Take out those threats, and your human form is capable of a 70th birthday. And now, with breakthroughs in our understanding of genetics and billions of dollars being poured into life sciences research, we may find ways to extend our lives, maybe even to double that number in the next few decades. You're listening to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Kelsey Warner. And on this week's episode, we're looking at how to live longer in the future of longevity. Before we start, please subscribe to Beyond the Headlines to get all the latest episodes. In March 2020, right before the World Health Organization declared a global pandemic, I was in the midst of some guinea pig journalism, a specially designed five-day fasting program and deep dive into the world of longevity medicine and the gimmicky industry known as biohacking. I had stared mindfulness guru Deepak Chopra in the eyes, interviewing him about the science-backed evidence that meditating can help us live longer. I had talked to a future of aging expert from the Milken Institute about the fact that by 2050, the world's population of people aged 60 years and older will double, mostly in the developing world, to over 2 billion people. And I can tell you all about autophagy, the body's way of getting rid of damaged cells and regenerating new, healthier ones, and how researchers were starting to understand how this process could remove waste at the cellular level, maybe even ridding us of aging or disease cells to extend our lives. But around day four of my autophagy-inducing fast, where I was subsisting mostly on a pomegranate-flavored tea and tiny packets of olives, it suddenly became clear that the world was confronting a much larger existential issue than my own personal, all-consuming hunger. I called a molecular genetics expert I had interviewed about the DNA side of aging again to instead ask her why we needed to urgently sequence the genetic material of COVID-19. Priorities had certainly shifted. And this is the irony of humanity's quest for longer life. How do we live forever, or even for longer, when the immediate effects of a pandemic, or climate change, or inequality stand in the way? This is a question that drives Madalena Campioni, a longevity expert who has done future scenarios forecasting for the United Nations AIDS program. The other things is probably the external climate change issues that are going to hit us, you know, in various degrees in the futures, and those are, are going... Uh, to be also hitting this market, because if we are in dangers of surviving, uh, there is no point of thinking, okay, we want to expand our life, <laughs> because we our life will stop suddenly because of external uh, factors. Um, uh, biohacking is, seems to be something that, especially initially, will be for the rich people, will be for the people that, you know, there will be a strong divide between the have and the have not. Uh, the, the developing country will struggle uh, to uh, to keep up with that because, uh, one, they have an aging population which is growing faster than developed countries. And two, they don't have the means in order to, to look at this. They have bigger problems to solve. So the, we might even inside a rich society, we have, might have a strong divide between all the people who have the means 
who actually buy supplements, buy uh, gene editing, buy an ANR injection and uh, all kinds of exoskeleton or whatever we want in order to optimize our bodies and other people that don't have the means. And, uh, and so they're going to be this strong divide in equity. This will unbalance definitely the way the market is going. With this dose of reality in mind, where is the market going? The fountain of youth may date all the way back to Greek mythology, but researchers from the Buck Institute insist that now, this time we now live in, is the inflection point on our understanding of aging. In a paper published in Nature, a team of researchers from the leading U.S. Biomed Institute describe how for many decades, biologists were stymied as to how to even understand how aging works. It wasn't until about 30 years ago when gene variants were identified, that scientists began to understand how our genes and how they are expressed can determine our lifespans. This rapid increase in our understanding of what's going on at the molecular level when we age has blown open the doors to try to intervene in our aging process. Two things that are the most notable from these early days in aging research, the number of genes that can extend lifespan is much larger than scientists expected, which means we are much more malleable than originally thought. And second, genes that control aging are similar across organisms, from fruit flies to humans. The pathways are knowable, and therefore scientists believe they can be altered to lead us to longer life. These breakthroughs are important, not just for the billionaires who are backing longevity startups like Jeff Bezos with his Altos Labs. Rapidly aging societies across the world are seeing an increasing healthcare burden attributable to both morbidity and the cost of age-related diseases like heart disease, cancer, and stroke. Humanity's work in the science of aging represents a different and very promising approach to tackling the rapidly growing burden of diseases worldwide and can also increase our health span, a concept that both describes the length of a healthy life and the fraction of total lifespan free from disease. Professor Paul Higgs, a professor on the sociology of aging at the University College London, says this idea of a health span is becoming more and more of a given in modern society, and that this is a relatively recent development, even though our obsession with averting death is not new. This is not a a novel phenomenon of the 21st century. It's just that we now have systematic arguments that it is now possible to engineer away senescence. And so consequently, we've always had people talking about good diets, even from the Renaissance period. We've always had people talking about taking exercise. Now it's become part of our culture. And one of the arguments I would make, it's part of that third age culture, is that you don't just accept that you are old. You actually resist aging and you also resist the signs of aging. Most of us now expect to have an old age, except we don't really see it as old age. We see it as like later life. And so when pension systems were brought in, there was an assumption that most people wouldn't actually make them. And if they did actually make that age, you would actually have a relatively short period ahead of you. Now, most of us in the you know, uh, you know, most prosperous countries can expect to live 10, 20 years after a retirement age. And even in the, you know, the developing parts of the world, you know, that there are substantial older populations, and we define older now by pension, not by anything else. So are these at pensionable age? However, one of the things that has also happened as we have more people who are now defined as old, 
we now confront one of the paradoxes that's always been there. Everyone would like to live long. No one wants to get old, particularly the issues around frailty and cognitive impairment. And so we can have what's called successful aging. And some people then say, and that successful aging should underpin something called productive aging, that we live in a society in which older people not only can successfully age, but that they should be um, contributing to society and to uh, the economy. Now, obviously, this isn't something that everybody can actually experience. And there's considerable debate about how far this is an expectation and how far this is an obligation. The concept of a health span, the societal pressures to successfully age, has created a booming market. Wellness is the new health, McKinsey crowed in a recent report, finding that people spend about $1.5 trillion a year on wellness products and services worldwide. Things like apps, athleisure, supplements, and fitness. Underpinning all of this consumption is the science-backed research that meditating, exercise, eating a healthy diet, and getting adequate sleep can really lead to a longer life. Of course, important to note here that you should consult with your doctor before undertaking any new healthcare regime. Here's futurist Madalena again on where she sees this marketplace going. Intermittent fasting is something that has been demonstrated. I mean, there is a, a professor in Stanford, I think it's David Sinclair, that does it regularly. And uh, if you look at his podcast and different videos uh, and, uh, and research uh, that he came up with, and, you know, is using it daily. And, uh, um, and the results from his research show that, you know, it's, it works. Uh, so, you know, diet, exercise, uh, meditation, uh, improve your sleep patterns, uh, all these things, are, of course, they do work. However, there is a part of us which is a genetic, you know, underlying genetic aspects of our life. And, the, the, uh, you know, genetic counts, it depends on about 25% of our aging. To help explain some of the research and the role of genetics in aging, I called up the same molecular biologist who helped explain why genetic sequencing would be important to help us during the early days of the pandemic. It was finally time to talk to her about the science of aging. Anamika Mehta, a consultant on epigenetics and aging based in Dubai, explained it this way. Now, epigenetics means it's simply epi means above genetics. Like you have a skin above the dermis, epidermis, similarly epigenetics, above the genetics. And it is the environmental effect that changes not our blueprint, not our genetic code, but the gene expressions. So the gene expressions is controlled by the environment we put our body in. And the factors that controls our epigenetics is the nutrient we give to our body, the fitness regime or the exercise we do, the spiritually, how connected we are to the society, to the environment around us, and emotionally, are we happy individuals? And it also gives us the power that we can reprogram it. By giving the right signals to the cells, we can reprogram some of the things, script of our health that has gone wrong. 
And this is where longevity also comes into picture when we can say that by various techniques, by various traditional and modern science put together, traditional wellness techniques and modern science put together, how we can help the metabolic processes to shift towards the healthy state. The NASA's twin research project actually gave us evidence where they one twin was on Earth and the other twin was uh, sent to space for a year. The NASA twin study in 2019 examined the difference between twin astronauts Scott and Mark Kelly after Scott spent a year in space. There were marked physical differences between the two in terms of genetics and gene expression. While the study was mostly undertaken to find out more about the impact of space travel on humans, the difference in two genetically identical people over the space of a year proved once and for all that our environment, how we live, can influence our genetic blueprint. We can, in fact, alter the house we live in, our mortal bodies. Yes, we've gotten to the part where it's time to talk about biohacking. Even if you've never heard the term, chances are you've seen it somewhere before. Maybe a coworker has been extolling the benefits of intermittent fasting, or you've read about American football player Tom Brady's anti-inflammatory diet. If you've downloaded a meditation app, and actually used it, tracked your sleep or the food you eat, then you've tried out this DIY biology known as biohacking. There's a rapidly growing space that for the average consumer is largely dominated by app developers and companies aiming to collect health data. Madalena warns, buyer beware. When we thought that the brain uh, is not, I said, shape and structure, but can change and uh, be molded by external factors, Already there, we, the cat was out of the bag and people said, okay, if we can shape our brain, maybe we can hack into our body and we can try to change it and we can try to extend our life. Uh, health data are, are recognized as the most valuable data out there. So, you know, there is, um, this is, you know, the private sector pushing towards it because the private sector agenda is very different from the, the agenda from government, for example. And yeah, I would like to understand a little bit of the difference because on one side, you got the private sector pushing and on the other side, there is the governance and the policy and regulation which is lacking. So on one side, I see a scenarios, which is the positive scenarios where, you know, everything is happy and anchidoris. On the other side, you see a scenarios where, you know, you have, yes, increased innovation and technology and, and data collection and all that, but at the same time, there is also maybe increased criminality and fraud and the security issues and these kind of things because we are not moving as fast on the other side. Nowadays, uh, we are shifting uh, more towards a private sector monetizations of the topics. Uh, that means because there are not enough data or the data we have are, are incomplete, there is like a race to get more data and the data are collected in sometimes not scientific way, or they are patchy at best, and the analysis of these data are biased. And what we're working with is with the completely unknown about the future. So it, the level of uncertainty is very high, but obviously the private sector presented as if we know what is going to come. So uh, now, um, you know, the, the conversation has shifted from being scientific and medical to be uh, more wide. And it is not the negative things, it's a positive as well, because we don't want 
the conversation to stay scientific only. Despite all this, the money and research that is being dumped into the quest for longevity shows no signs of stopping. Stuart Kim, a former professor of developmental biology at Stanford University, has done research on the sequence of 17 supercentenarians' genome. That is, he looked at the DNA profile of people who have lived to be over 110 years old. He believes that there are people alive today who will live to be 200. The most promising of the possibilities is gene editing, with designs on changing parts of human DNA to combat disease, which would in turn increase longevity. But the buzz around this technology, most fervent around CRISPR, has been going on for over a decade. Although there may be a breakthrough, it could still take some time. Still, Madalena says when the change comes, it could be revolutionary. It is very promising. And in a sense, biohacking, it is unimaginable in a sense that uh, it is like it was unimaginable, the mobile phone a few decades ago. You know, the, the, the changes that the mobile phone brought to modern area are unbelievable, like the internet. So we are, with the biohacking, we are tampering and we are dealing with something which is related to human evolution. And human evolution is major. We might change the way we think or the or the social contract we have at the moment and we might the, the way we think of ourselves at the moment so all the things that are normal and common today might be different and shifted until that happens anamika says we have a lot of options in front of us that we are not taking full advantage of when we go for retreat programs you're getting the right nutrients you're getting the right environment physical environment you are basically relaxed there can be a little bit of pampering you can do to yourself if you want otherwise also even without the pampering proper guided relaxation technique uh, or relaxation retreats helps us to kickstart that healthy lifestyle that we are not able to we get into a routine and we are not able to change from that and then we can further monitor how to improve our lifestyle. Much of biohacking comes down to age-old knowledge of eating and drinking well, getting rest, and exercising. We can add to that list nurturing connections with others, with nature, and with an inner sense of calm. All easier to say than do in many people's modern lives. But even with all that advice, Paul Higgs reminds us that longevity isn't the only aim. I think is important to be aware of is this increasing split between the third age of ageless aging and this feared fourth age of the nursing home that often politics doesn't really understand the the fact that most old people are frightened of ending in some form of institutional care. It used to be said that in the 19th century in England, you know, it was the fear of the workhouse that motivated people. Now I'd say it's the fear of the nursing home. And I think that that split about the changing nature of old age means that if you are going to increase longevity, you have to ensure that that longevity is one that doesn't also result in particularly dementia. Fear may be a common motivator, but add to that the science-backed hope we are the creators of our own destinies in ways we never could have previously imagined. So, will it be you who lives to 200? You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines. I've been your host, Kelsey Warner. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe, and we'd really appreciate a review. Thanks this week to Madalena Campioni, 
Paul Higgs, and Anamika Mena. This week's episode was produced by Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan.